Hello, my name is Eli Call, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, It's Just Reality. This is going to be a weekly podcast dedicated to real-world news and useful insights aimed at improving the knowledge of those who listen. As I said, my name is Eli Call. I'm a PhD candidate at Kent State University in political science. I focus on transnational and comparative politics. But among my many focuses as an academic, I am drawn to this aspect of political knowledge and its importance to the political process in general. And one of the things that I've realized in the past 10 years of studying politics and political behavior is that the mass media and our global news sources um, can provide some useful insights to our political behavior as individuals. But it seems like a lot of us don't pay any attention to it and we don't focus on it. And so this podcast is driven by this need to kind of consolidate all the information we're presented with on a daily basis and put it to useful, uh, um, put, it, put it to use in a way that enables us to improve our lives and improve our understanding of the world that we live in. So the, this weekly podcast is going to focus on news items and present them not just covering the brief issue of what's going on and what's the story, but it's also going to discuss why it's important and how might it develop and most importantly, how might it impact you. Each podcast is going to cover a wide range of issues. I'm going to cover regional news first, which is going to cover America's Europe, Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, Central Asia and South Asia, and East Asia. I'm also going to cover briefly sports, arts and entertainment, science and technology, and on occasion provide a funny anecdote. So this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the Americas first. U.S. Congress just recently passed a stimulus bill that everyone's been waiting for, that will issue $600 checks to those who qualify, approximately 320 million Americans. Uh, But the bill is loaded with pork. It's over 5,600 pages long. And there's going to be a lot of scrutiny in the next few days and weeks and possibly months about what all this bill encompasses and what all it is included in this bill and why is it so expensive considering that six hundred dollars for 328 million does not equate to the 900 billion dollar uh price tag that this bill has so one of the things i want to do is cover what is included in the bill and what additional things might uh, might serve useful So one of the things that the bill does is it also increases uh, provision for funding to improve Wi-Fi hotspots, um, as well as increasing funding for educational institutions and grants that enable educational institutions, uh, whether it be K through 12, early childhood, or the university level and collegiate and uh, technical technical school level uh, to enhance remote education capabilities. Um, Another thing that the bill does is it's going to provide extra social welfare for those who are unemployed or impacted, um, whose employment is impacted by the coronavirus, as well as improve health care funding for those who need it most. Um, 
there's going to be a, a great deal of consternation about the disbursement of these funds. Um, and one of the things that's going to draw a lot of criticism is the increasing of federal deficit spending when the gross domestic product of the United States is suffering an economic lag because of the coronavirus impact on the economy. Um, so as I mentioned, in the coming months, you should expect to see numerous details of pork and other legislative political maneuvering come out. Um, and then as it's impacting you, I think that the one most important thing that people should try to focus on is when you get your $600 stimulus check, don't spend it, go out and spend it on bar at bars or buy a new TV or uh, spend it on kind of leisure activities or, or frivolously. Save it, invest it, try to use it for emergencies only. And I think that's one of the things that the previous stimulus bill kind of went to waste. A lot of people thought, oh, this is $1,200. The pandemic's going to be over in the summer and I'm just going to go ahead and buy a new PlayStation and a whole bunch of video games to use while I'm on lockdown. Uh, so I think that that's one thing, the impact on you is you're going to potentially get a $600 check if you live in the United States. Um, try to save it. Try to invest it, maybe even, because the stock market's doing pretty well right now. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities to use this money wisely. Um, next up, we're going to talk about East Asia. Um, a story came out last week, or earlier this week, about China's uh, cheap cotton, right? So for those of you who don't know, there's a, a minority group in northwest China called the Uyghurs. Um, and they are predominantly Muslim. And the Chinese Communist Party uh, has been very uh, harsh in its treatment of this minority Muslim population in the northwest of China over the past several decades. Um, but recently, there's been a lot of concern about the implementation of uh, forced labor camps and uh, re-education camps for Uyghur minorities. And one of the things that came to light recently is the use of over 500,000 Uyghurs uh, who have been uh, chosen or selected to participate in these re-education programs to be used as forced labor, low-wage labor. So they are getting paid, but very minimally and far less than what the Chinese government is saying that they're paying. Uh, to pick cotton. China's the world's, uh, one of the world's largest producers of cotton. The, the, the cotton that's uh, harvested in China accounts for about 20% of the global market, right? And so one of the things that this is going to impact you and how it's going to develop is that it's going to increase, this, this knowledge that this story came out is going to increase a lot of uh, calls for boycotting Chinese cotton or, or punishing or, or uh, dissuading companies from using Chinese cotton. And what that's going to do is that's 20% of the global market is such a large share, it's going to increase the cotton prices if you're not purchasing co Chinese cotton. And so what you might see is several manufacturers of clothing and other items that use cotton uh, either divert their supply away from China or continue to 
use this Chinese cotton with the increased reputational costs that it might incur. Um, and so some things that it might do to impact you, uh, it might create more expensive clothing or food. A lot of people don't know that cotton oil, cottonseed oil is, is a major component of most of the food you eat. Um, and so the other thing that it might do though, is it might impact, uh, the precedent for using forced labor in, not just in China, but in the West as well. And in other areas of the world, um, slavery is not gone away. Um, despite numerous reductions over the past several centuries, um, the incorporation of slave or forced labor into the modern economy still exists. And this issue and its perpetuation might cause uh, some places that are seeking to develop an economic uh, comparative advantage to uh, increase their use of forced labor, whether it be from prisons in the United States. So we have a lot of private prisons here and uh, um, the, the prison labor uh, amounts to a substantial, but not really that substantial portion of the gross domestic product. Um, this experience in China might propel some within the United States government to enact policies that enable more production to be done at prison at the prison level for the cheap wages that are uh paid to prisoners for doing work while they're incarcerated um and so this is something to keep an eye on uh and, and it and it might impact you um pretty much greatly um moving on to europe putin in russia the the president of russia as is back against the wall right now because not only has there been a major cyber attack on U.S. government uh, organizations such as the State Department and the Department of Treasury and Homeland Security, but there's also new evidence that the opposition leader, uh, Alexei Navalny, was poisoned by the um, FSB, the, the successor of the KGB in Russia. Um, and he basically caught an FSB agent in explaining that he was implicating the FSB involvement in his poisoning. Um, and so this is important for a number of reasons, but most, mostly because this is evidence that Putin is continuing to seek uh, pushing his style of global power dominance in a period of where... where uh, United States institutions and, and global institutions are weakened by the COVID pandemic. He's trying to take advantage of this and it's going to develop uh, several ways. Um, it's going to develop into greater trade restrictions with Russia, but also uh, more scrutinized uh, cyber space activity. Um, and it's proven that Russia's uh, intelligence agencies are much more capable at cyber attacks than uh, is thought, or at least they're more successful than it's thought that they can be. Um, how this might impact you, obviously, uh, if you use the internet, which most of you do, um, sites that you're on, might, you might your information might get leaked. Um, 
funds could be transferred. But more importantly, uh, this is going to cause more uh, political backlash because President Trump has blatantly covered for Putin and accuses China rather than Russia of carrying out the cyber attack um, without any evidence. And this is very important because it indicates that there's a very close uh, bond between the two leaders that could potentially uh, diminish U.S.-Russian relations in the near future as President Biden takes power. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, In Africa, uh, there's been a lot going on with uh, the conflict in Ethiopia in the Tigray region uh, where uh, there's been a a lot of loss of life, a lot of uh, violence, and a lot of refugees. But one thing that's going to draw attention away from that in the next couple of weeks is the emergence of Ethiopia seeking to establish its own domestic stock market. Um, this is going to draw attention away from the conflict, as I mentioned. Um, but it's also going to increase Ethiopia's status as a rising economic power in the region. So a lot of the alleged crimes against humanity that occurred during the conflict in the Tigray region are kind of going to be forgotten in this, in this near term as uh, more focus is given to the establishment of this homegrown economic uh, development that's going to occur in sub-Saharan Africa, or, which is a big deal. Honestly, it's, it's major uh, development for uh, an African nation to develop its own domestic stock market if it can be successful. Um, and this could also set a precedent Um, for reducing global angst about ethnic conflict by focusing on economic development. And another thing, though, that it can do in a more positive light is it can establish a successful... uh, The establishment of a successful stock market in Ethiopia might increase interest from other states as well as draw draw investment from foreign foreign, uh, corporations and investors to possibly increase speculation to these this new domestic market and it might draw um investment away from more traditional stock markets uh i mean the, the as i mentioned earlier in the podcast the u.s stock market's booming so uh s- investors who have the extra capital might seek to get an early footing in this ma- market so it might draw some funding away from the more traditional markets Moving to the Middle East, um, recently Italian authorities have seized over $1 billion worth of the amphetamine captagon from, uh, that were coming from Syria. Um, so this is a drug that gives this sense of invincibility to those who uh, use it recreationally. Um, and it's, it's common for military and, 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 and soldiers and uh, those who are participating in Uh, violent extremist groups such as ISIS to utilize these amphetamines to uh, boost their confidence and and uh, uh, enable them to carry out these long missions over uh, over you know days even Um, and it boosts their endurance and their agility and and their strength and the, the scary thing about this is that um, 
it's a demonstration that the Assad regime in Syria has resorted to the illicit narcotics market as a major revenue stream. Um, uh, I mean, we're talking about a billion dollars worth of drugs that were seized coming from Syria. Um, and so what developments might occur in the near future, uh, you might see ties that the, you might see information coming out about how um, the Assad regime is utilizing the development in the, in the manufacture of this drug to, and, and then to, and then the sale of it on the black market to boost its revenue um, amidst times of uh, increased uh, increased economic strife, not just from COVID, but also because of uh, sanctions against Syria and, and uh, decreased trade because of the conflict going on in Syria. So this might impact you in several ways, but the, the main thing that I see is you're going to see a large reduction in trade with Syria based on increased scrutiny that Customs and Border Patrols are going to carry out with shipments coming from Syria. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more uh, more illicit drugs um, collected and seized by authorities coming from Syria. Um, but in the United States, we import a decent amount of granite and marble and other stone, as well as fruit and nuts um, from Syria. And all these shipments are going to be more scrutinized as they're coming across borders. And this can reduce not just the, the time for trade, but also the cost of trade. So look for that to start developing and look for Syria's uh, global trade uh, to start diminishing in the near future. And then finally, in the regional news, we're going to move to South Asia. Um, there's been another case of gang rape in India, and this problem has become an epidemic. Um, it's very important because India is the world's largest democracy, and the lack of capability to provide a safe society for women in particular um, is really hindering the prospects of democracy globally. A lot of states that are kind of on the cusp of democracy or trending towards democracy, especially states that are um, uh, largely religious, whether it be Hindu, Muslim, uh, Christian, um, Buddhist even, um, when religious tenants kind of embed themselves into the fabric of the state, this creates the incentive to produce laws based on this religious majority. And so one thing that the, the continuation of gang rape in India does is it diminishes the likelihood that other states that are trending towards democracy will continue in that. And they might use this high level of uh, women's rights violations in India as justification for increasing restrictions on women's freedoms, such as uh, cover, wearing a face cover or, or um, uh, being kept private and kept from having the, uh, the, the liberty to, to go out into public. Um, and so this is going to potentially 
be devastating as long as the the gang rape uh, uh, epidemic in India continues. And so, and and honestly, I don't see any any real uh, positive trending in that situation either. I think the country of India just has so many issues that it's dealing with. The the government doesn't have the capability to adequately address this issue and it's a societal issue and it requires education at the lower levels and and, and the education of the the male population to not view women as objects and to not view uh, sexual gratification as a basic need um, that they're afforded a right to regardless of whether the the person that they're trying to seek this need from uh, is consenting. Um, I think that this is a a major problem across the globe, but the fact that it's occurring in the world's largest democracy especially is uh, is troubling. Moving on. Science and technology. Um, A couple stories here. Uh, Jupiter and Saturn are going to be aligned in forming a sort of Christmas star. Um, I just thought that was a unique thing that... um, can look back and, and see well, maybe did they align uh, back around zero, the year zero, um, and uh, and and maybe that's what the the three wise men or what the all the the scriptures tell us uh, saw in the in the night sky. Uh, we don't know, but I thought that was a unique thing. Um, I thought that's pretty cool. Um, uh, more troubling story is that a new scientific study has come out that proves that wildfire smoke uh, increases the spread of microbes and fungi, which can lead to increased health risks, um, not just in the wildfire immediate area surrounding the wildfire, but in the areas um, downwind of the, the, the fires themselves. Um, this can lead to increased uh, lung infections, but other health risks uh, amongst the populations living there and the, the study calls for governments, especially local governments, to increase their ability to monitor the air quality um, amidst wildfires and, uh, and try to reduce human exposure to this bad air. Um, and finally, the more, most severe story that came out in the past week is uh, the new COVID strain uh, emanating in Great Britain. Um, this is... Uh, uh, there's not a hundred percent known about it yet, but the 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 basic information that I've been able to acquire is that the new strain of the COVID nineteen novel coronavirus um, has a seventy uh, percent increase in increase in infectiousness. So it's more in, it's more able to be spread from person to person. But there have not been any proven increases in its level of severity um, or its likelihood of death. Um, But out of an abundance of caution, most countries have imposed new lockdowns and restrictions for travel in and out of Great Britain. Um, This is not good for Britain in a time during Brexit, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's necessary in order to reduce the spread of this new strain and try to limit... Um, it, it's still unclear whether or not the vaccines that have come out recently are capable of inoculation against this new strain. So um, pay attention to that in the near future. Um, that could be 
it could be good as long as the vaccines are proven to be effective against this new strain, but it could be devastating if this new strain is immune to the, the vaccines that, um, that are being uh, spread across the globe. Arts and entertainment. Um, recently, Stephen King's The Stand has been uh, um, developed into a disturbingly timely television series um, released on CBS. Uh, I watched the first episode of it this weekend, and it draws concerns over the COVID-19 origins from my perspective. Um, so, so the gist of The Stand, without giving any spoilers, is that... Uh, uh, variation of the influenza virus uh, created in a military lab in the United States got leaked and spread across the globe, causing 7 billion people to die. Um, uh, and this concern, it draws concerns over the, 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 it's really timely because it draws concerns over the, uh, the origins of the coronavirus, right? Um, and it's really concerning considering that recently a story came out that um, there's a lab in Wuhan, China that's being, becoming the focus of, for investigation of the origins of the virus because of a potential leak in that lab. And so it's starting to draw maybe conspiracy theories or maybe just concerns that maybe this coronavirus was a man-made variation on an existing SARS virus. Um, but I, I, I don't put any weight into that yet. There hasn't been any evidence that proves that yet, but it's still something that is concerning. And I think that if you're, if you have the time and inclination, I su highly suggest watching Stephen King's, uh, The Stand on, uh, on CBS when you get a chance. Sports. Um, as the vaccines are beginning to be doled out, uh, a crucial, uh, issue has come about, um, regarding the provision of vaccines for sports and professional sports franchises and, and the NFL in the United States, the, the European soccer leagues, uh, the EPL, the, the English Premier League, um, uh, League 1 in France and uh, La Liga in Spain and the Bundesliga in Germany are all contempl contemplating giving the tag of essential workers, essentially, to professional sports teams. And so this brings out a lot of debate and whether or not professional sports franchises should be considered essential workers. They are providing this welcome relief to a lot of people, um, this kind of sense of normality. But at the same time, uh, there's a vast number of personnel involved in these organizations and providing vaccines to them rather than to people who might be more susceptible to the virus is drawing some concerns. And so as of yet, there haven't been any, uh, there haven't been any policies that list these professional sports franchises as in essential workers. But the sheer amount of revenue that these organizations draw in uh, might lead to them getting some preferential treatment. And whether that's fair or not is going to be up for debate. And so that's something to look forward to in the next couple of months. Well, I don't have a funny anecdote for you, but 
This is the first of hopefully several weekly podcasts uh, geared at trying to improve your understanding of the world. And I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to hearing some feedback if you get a chance. Thanks, and have a good week.